1: Hello
0: everybody, Carl Starr here with the Fightful Boxing Podcast. We got a big show coming up today. We got Ringwalk John of the Ringwalk Podcast here to recap a really busy weekend that we just had in boxing. Sergey Kovalev beating Anthony Yard. We got Brandon Figueroa and Stephen Fulton impressing on PBC this past weekend and Juan Francisco Estrada dominating, or at least having a very, very good outing against the weight who really brought the fight to him in their WBC Superflyweight title fight on the zone... And we got plenty to talk about, not just recapping this past weekend, previewing Lomachenko versus Luke Campbell on Saturday, and we also got PBC on Fox, Eddie Landilada versus Ramon Alvarez, and here to give you some data regarding television viewership in boxing through the month of August, see how that has performed in recent years. We'll get into all of that in just a second, but before we get with Ringwalk John, just wanted to So plugs, head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Head on over to FightfulBoxing.com for the Fightful Boxing newsletter. It's up right now on Fightful.com where you can read all about the Anthony Yar Sergey Kovalev fight results from that ESPN Plus broadcast. My thoughts on it Will Canelo Alvarez beat, uh, fight Sergey Kovalev at the end of the year? We also got the aforementioned viewership numbers and boxing throughout 2019. There's also the the Fightful Boxing rankings, which are now going to be a permanent part of the Fightful Boxing newsletter from here onwards. It's going to be every two weeks. The updates are going to be, uh, the rankings are going to get updated every time the newsletter is out. And we also got a special announcement from Pelps Boxing regarding its 50th anniversary show in October at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. So you can read all about that on the Fightful Boxing newsletter at fightful.com. Head on over to Fightful's Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. We got tons of podcasts regarding WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, from everything you could ask for. We also got the list in your boy with Fightful managing editor Sean Rossap and Fightful owner Jimmy Van, one of the biggest Podcasts on Fightful.com. Really entertaining show as you get a bit of a different viewpoint in the world of wrestling from our owner, Jimmy Van, And you can head on over to Fightful, uh, Fightful's MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. where you can listen to this very podcast, the Fightful Boxing Podcast, as well as the Fightful MMA Podcast with Sean Ross Sapp and Showdown Joe. But with that being said, it's time to head on over to Ringwalk John to discuss a very, very big weekend in boxing that we just had. Hope you guys enjoy it. And joining me on the Fightful Boxing Podcast is a three time Podcast co-host, at least for the Fightful Boxing Podcast, Ringwalk John from the Ringwalk Podcast. Ring- John, how are you doing? Thanks so much for coming on here. You are, I believe, now the all-time leader in guest appearances on the Fightful Boxing Podcast. I believe you broke a tie with uh, Fightful feature writer Joe Holbert and WBC welterweight champion Sean Porter. So at least you got one up on Sean in that regard. Anytime I can take one over Sean Porter, I'm going to do
2: it. I'm going to claim myself as lineal champion then and uh, wear that belt proudly. Thanks for having me on, Carlos.
0: Absolutely. I always have a lot of fun talking boxing with you and you're extremely knowledgeable about the sport. Love listening to your podcast. For anybody listening in, I highly recommend checking out the RingWalk podcast. Lots of great content in there with, you know, John talks to a lot of different people. Just recently, he spoke to Stephen Fulton, IBO Super Bantamweight Champion. He spoke to Blair Comps, who is just an absolute superstar in the making, just by personality alone. And he's he's spoken to a lot of people so I highly recommend you guys check out the ring walk podcast but John is here we got a lot of boxing to basically recap it's been uh, it's been one of the busiest weekends I can remember and I can not remember a weekend in the, for the last few months in which we had so many different fights from all over the world and I think probably the one that caught the attention of most people for more reasons than one is this Russia card in Chalia Binks, where Sergei Kovalev survived probably the biggest scare that he's had in a very long time inside the ring and beat Anthony Yard to retain his WBO light heavyweight title. There is there's, I have a lot of thoughts on this fight, from you know, from Yards' perspective, from Kovalev's perspective, from what's gonna happen next. But I'm curious to see what do you think of the fight. The whole story of this fight was Anthony Yards' preparation, or I guess you can call it lack. Thereof, you know, with the fact that he didn't spar at all, that his trainer is, you know, was acting as if he was the one that's gonna get in the ring with Sergey Kovalev. Just wanted to get your thoughts on Anthony Yards' performance against Sergey Kovalev.
2: Well, the thing is, leading into the fight, even as somebody that likes to bet the fights, it was surprising to see so many people backing Yard. And the conversation leading into those, especially the especially this last week, was that his trainer did not believe in, in sparring. And while he's had him spar lightly before, he has his own... System, And he's very outspoken about it. He had been on uh, just a a number of different broadcasts talking about the way that he does things, that his knowledge and his training and his understanding of the spider is superior to anything else. And it it really makes you question whenever anybody bucks a, a 100 year old trend of You know, you just spar. (laughs) That's just the way that you get ready for things. You step into a batter's box and you face live pitching in order to hit a ball. And when you're boxing, you spar. It was interesting uh, to hear that. And it it made me feel a little bit more confident that a seasoned veteran like Kovalev would win. That being said, uh, although Kovalev uh, did end up jabbing him to victory, there was one moment in the eighth where that that fight very well could have been stopped. And so when you look at it from Yard's perspective, young, strong, uh, maybe perhaps too physically strong for his own good, carrying so much uh, physical muscle mass that he became just too winded uh, by the end of the fight. But he almost took out Kovalev in the eighth. And that's a good fighter. And I don't think that uh, there's anything that can be taken away from Yard specifically. Great performance. People will question the training and what might have happened had he been in a position where he had different training. But he was uh, everything that people thought that he could be. He went up against a all-time great like Debbie and almost took out a victory in his hometown uh, in Russia. And that would have been uh, that would have been pretty spectacular. So I have nothing but kudos, and he he looks like he's going to be a legitimate contender for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this fight, I look at Yard, and first of all, I do agree with you with the whole, you know, Yard is really, you know, physically he's tremendous, but he may be a little too big, his muscles may be a little too big for his own good, I, I kind of look at it as a, for example, like, you have a Ferrari, and you you live in the suburbs, and you have a Ferrari, it looks nice, it looks flashy, but how often is that really gonna, how, how practical is that gonna be, like, there's a lot of flash, but there's no substance, and I look at Yard, and I kind of see the same thing there's like physically the tools are there he has all the tools to be a great light like, heavyweight for a very very long time but everything else is just there's so much he needs to work on and I will give I, I will give Anthony Art a lot of credit. He went and took and took the challenge when no one was really giving him a lot of credit even though the betting odds actually tended to be and made the fight a lot closer than in my opinion it actually was i thought anthony yard you know took a step way above than what he should be getting at this point in his career and he was seconds away from stopping the wbo light heavyweight champion so i will give him credit on that However, I kind of look at Anthony Yard and I think there, this, there's a lot of good but I thought the bad was like everywhere. His footwork was atrocious. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did he has no idea how to counter the jab. He, he has more pro fights than amateur fights and this is not a 45 guy. He's only, he, he hasn't even had two dozen pro fights. So he's extremely green in the ring. The, his stamina is horrendous because just when you that a moment that you were about to win the fight and you immediately gas out.
2: It's just, you know, horrible. That's kind of the, the, the whole thought process. It's a half full, half empty glass situation because you can look at all those things and say, gosh, he kept his left low even though he wasn't working out of a filling shell. He kept pounding his arm chest every single time that he got t- uh, attacked instead of making an adjustment. He <laughs> obviously ran out of gas. He only threw a couple of jabs Throughout the whole fight, and yet almost beat Kovalev in his hometown. And so it's one of those things where you could say, "Gosh, dude, all these basic things the glaring, like you were saying, the glaring bad—and yet he was that close. And so one wonders if, if there was a different training, uh, if if something could really, you know, skyrocket for a guy that almost took him out, uh, despite all of those glaring glaring omissions from his fight uh, game. It was it was interesting and, and it served because of those problems that he had just to be one of the more entertaining fights of the last few months. That was just a fun back and forth and, uh, uh, and just really exciting TV. That was great.
0: I, I agree. And listen, I think in my opinion, I think... I think potential can be fulfilled if he makes... I think he needs to get rid of his trainer. I think he needs to make a complete overhaul on his training team. You know, first of all, get some sparring under your belt because you're way too green to be going the no-sparring route. In fact, I'm pretty sure every boxer in history is too green to go the no-sparring bout when you go up against a guy like Sergei Kovalev. But I digress. From the Kovalev perspective, I thought... He looked really good, and I thought that this new Sergey Kovalev that we are seeing, after that first Elidar Alvarez fight, he has looked tremendous, and I give a lot of credit to Buddy McGirt for keeping him not just disciplined, but making sure he doesn't revert back to being Crusher Kovalev, because at this stage of his career, if he does try to go for a knockout, kind of like how he did in the past, years prior... Smarter guys, younger, stronger guys are going to catch on and take him out. And we saw that against Elidal Alvarez. And in a way, we kind of saw that with Anthony Yard in that eighth round, as you mentioned. But now, Buddy McGirt has kept him in check. He's done a tremendous job. After the first Elidal Alvarez, the rematch against Alvarez, I thought Kovalev made a strong case to be the best light heavyweight in the world today. I don't know about right now because... There were a couple of things that concerned me, mainly the way he just didn't react very well to getting hit to the body. And this is not a new observation. This has been something that we've known for for quite a long time. What do you think of Kovalev right now and where he stands among the like heavyweight
2: elite? We're gonna find out where he stands. Uh, against his contemporary here by the end of the year, what uh, with uh, the upcoming fight uh, in Philadelphia, uh, I'll be covering that one ringside. The uh, post better be a fight. Um, as far as Kovalov, the one thing uh, that you could see readily, uh, physically different, uh, was that he did not come in with any extra uh, punch he was coming in probably the best looking uh, from in his core that I've seen. Um, his jab was fantastic. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of confidence. And I think he, he was afraid of Yard's power early. Um, the uh, the other thing that I noticed, Kobolev when he has been getting hit in his past, does not tie up. Uh, very well one of the things that Buddy seems to have uh, I don't know out and out fixed but in the 8th when he was getting into trouble two specific times he very much so leaned and clinched. and there have been times for Kovalev where he has not done that that puts him in a position where he was able to get through and end up surviving and then surviving uh, because Yard was gassed at that point um if he were to fight somebody, say like a better player, uh, who has got all of the youth and probably all of the energy to go much further than what Yard did, or somebody who is very well trained, uh, like Kvostik, I, I, I don't know. Uh, that is the, the great uh, unknown, and I think it's going to stay an unknown, because it does not look like he is looking to fight any of those guys. It looks like he has a payday coming
0: up against one Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, and and in my opinion, I'm looking at this whole Kovalev-Canelo situation. Obviously, they tried to make that fight happen. It didn't work out. This time around, I feel like there is a lot more... Confidence from the Kovalev team that they are going to make this fight happen. And I think it's mainly because they no longer have to worry about having to pay Frank Warren, who is Anthony Yard's promoter, and Yard himself, a, a, what I would imagine would be a seven-figure step-aside fee just to make that fight happen. But, the, I'm just looking at it from the Canelo side, I think he's also pretty confident that, he's not a, that he could make that fight happen but also beat him, because I look at that fight, and I thought, you know, this Kovalev that we saw, by the way, is still very, very good, but I think he loses to Canelo Alvarez, and I don't think it's going to be, like, extremely closing opponent. I think Canelo pandally beats this Sergey Kovalev because Canelo Alvarez is such a great body puncher, and we know how Kovalev reacts to getting hit to the body, and unlike Yard, Canelo is not afraid to go and attack if he sees an opening right from the get-go. We saw that in the fight against Rocky Fielding. Rocky Fielding tried to attack Canelo Alvarez on the inside, and that didn't work out, and it resulted in Alvarez needing a couple of rounds to beat uh, Rocky Fielding. So I kind of look at this fight, and I think Canelo wins this, and he approached this from a very smart angle, because now we kind of know how that fight could potentially play out, and now there's no obstacles left for making Canelo versus Kovalev happen. And what do you think? Well, the fight uh, won should
2: have been made if the, if the uh, promotions on Golden Boy side had uh, come to them with their final offer first. It probably would have been. But you're right. The hard split just wasn't going to work out to make that fight happen then. Uh, which actually works in Canelo say because now. Uh, Kovalev has been pushed in the distance, and if they do end up making that fight when they want to, which is only a couple of months away, it's kind of set it up perfect for Canelo. He's a legacy chaser. He would love to be able to claim that he went up there and got that belt. Uh, And you're right. uh, The the blueprint has been there, uh, that you put water in the basement against Kovalev, and that's the way that you're going to be victorious. Uh, When they were discussing uh, Kovalev originally, I said, well, of course, uh, Canelo has had lingering knee issues. Now, the recent videos have not shown him with the uh, what has become commonly seen in the wrap on his knee. Uh, but a slower uh, fighter that uh, he would be able to uh, stick with and obviously uh, work inside, which he's so well adept at, uh, favors him. And I do know that uh, as far as what, you know, the... Uh, Fellows over in Vegas think uh, Canelo opened uh, more than a three-to-one favorite, and at some books now, especially the UK markets, it's looking up uh, anywhere from six to seven to one, which is a huge favorite. And for a fighter to be going up a couple of weight classes and be that large of a favorite, it is obvious that most in that side of the professional game think that this is. Not exactly the easiest fight, but definitely one that Canelo will win. And uh, I have to think, uh, despite what I'm seeing from Kovalev and that he's a great champion uh, with a great jab, uh, Canelo at this point, uh, arguably aside from his knee in his prime, uh, would do very, very well against Kovalev. But still a fight that I would want to see.
0: Same here. I would love to see Kovalev versus Canelo make that fight. I would love to talk to you about Kovalev all day long, but there is so much you have to recap. And the other big card today, or at least there are two other big cards that I want to get to you at the very least. One being this PBC on FS1 card that we saw over the weekend, Brandon Figueroa against Javier Nicolás Chacon in the main event, but you were also pretty invested in the co-main event, which features Stephen Fulton taking on Isaac Val. Um... I think I don't know why I, I blanked out on the last name, but yeah. But this is. But we saw on that card two great super bantamweights, and Brandon Figueroa and Stephen Fulton just really dominate their respective fights, and they kind of hinted at a potential fight between the two. You and I discussed this right before we we recorded, but you don't think that that fight's gonna happen because you know the way PBC does its matchmaking. It's you don't typically see this kind of match- match-up all too often, if at all, and I kind of agree, but man, I would really love to see that fight. Let's start with Stephen Fulton, since you spoke to him on your podcast. Um, what do you think of Stephen Fulton and his ceiling?
2: So, first of all, I got the chance to, Fulton was off TV on the williams uh card, and I was covering that uh, earlier this year, and sitting inside, it's very clear that he is a cut above. Uh, when you watch certain fighters live, you can just see the talent. And that was evidence. Uh a very, very strong straight on that kid. And uh, fast, technical, uh, strong Philly fighter. Uh, and that's when he had won the IBO strap. Uh, coming into this fight... Not only was he confident, he was staying in shape. He had uh, prepped for the fight before by doing five-minute rounds uh, and was really trying to get in shape uh, for the first fight. And then this time around, he felt incredibly confident uh, calling his opponent, Isaac, uh, not the most knowledgeable or smart fighter. Um, Amalard said that he was going to be coming in throwing or trying to throw hundreds of blows around. And Fulton had anticipated that this was not something that he was going to be spacing with a jab, (laughs) and that it could get a little bit uh, dirtier. Even Uh, the uh, shot that he had uh, landed—it wasn't the first time that he had gone, uh, you know, to the breadbasket—but the shot that he landed was so powerful and a real wake-up call. A lot of guys. You know, at 122, aren't going to be, you know, putting a guy down like that. And he did against another undefeated fighter. I think this was the sixth undefeated fighter that he went up against in Rome. So he's not getting just your basic run of the mill, you know, 50 50 uh, record opponents. He has been dispatching with anybody that has been thrown in front of him. And it's really only a matter of time for somebody like himself. Uh, That has the training background that he has, uh, that comes from where he's coming from to get a real legitimate shot. I don't know if he's going to be fighting Figueroa next. Um, And and it's not just PBC, but not many uh, promotional companies will take two young, good-looking, well-spoken, undefeated fighters before they've reached to be the household name and put them against each other. You know, because the hero is so important in the marketing strategies of these companies now. So I don't know if that would actually happen next. But I do know that uh, as long as he keeps lacking up victories, not only just against undefeated fighters, but in the manner in which he did so, Kuba Steph is going to be having a nice long career here at that league class.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Figueroa take on uh, Fulton, but I think those, those two guys are... Among the brightest young rising stars at Super Band of weight. And, you know, I, I look at Stephen Fulton, and by the way, I don't think I've ever seen anyone carry the IBO title with as much pride as Stephen Fulton. And I'm not saying the, the, the IBO title is meaningless or anything, I mean, that's a whole different subject, but the way Stephen Fulton carries himself... It's the confidence that I really love about Stephen Fulton. And it's his ability. He doesn't he doesn't just talk the talk. He knows how to walk the walk and does it in such impressive fashion. He's a guy, I look, and Brandon, that I think are going to be real solid players at either 122 or 126 for years to come. 100%
2: agree. And I get a chance to talk to fighters you know, uh, whether it be in fights or on the podcast, and gracious, well-spoken, incredibly nice, always, always, always just a good conversation, and not ahead of himself. Um, You get fighters that uh, start buying in hype uh, a lot, and you can tell them the matter in which they talk to you, or will talk down to you. Uh, and that guy will see right eye uh, that guy is salt of the earth type of people and it's weird because you don't know want to play favoritism as a journalist but uh, I'd really like to see that kid
0: succeed because he is uh, he's about as good as of of outside of the ring as well and in the main event of that PBC NFS 1 uh, Brandon Figueroa takes out Javier Chacon in less than 4 complete rounds there's not a lot to talk about that fight this was a complete mismatch from the start you give, you give Brandon Figueroa a battle-worn 38-year-old fighter who is, who is, I believe, making his U.S. debut, and that was, you know, slim picking for Brandon Figueroa. Just punished the body, you know, with no remorse. Brandon Figueroa—he's a guy that I really, really love his potential, but I kind of worry. He's only 22 years old. He's five foot nine you got to think at some point, with as, you know, divided the super band division is, and given that there are no world champions, uh, fighting under the PBC umbrella, you got to think that, a fe- you know, going to featherweight would probably be in the books for him in the next couple of years, don't you think? Could be, um,
2: unfortunately, um, and not always, which is best for the boss, and if for power transfers, um, I personally, you know, I'm not in his camp, I don't know how easy weight transfers around back and forth, but I, if, if it behooves the promotional company, that's usually the way that it's going to work for the fighter and their paychecks. Uh, I know that uh, very similarly, uh, Cool Boy Steph has said, I'll, I'll fight at 122, I'll fight at 122, whatever you want him to fight at, and most fighters in that weight range are a little bit more adaptable uh, to be able to move but i don't know if that's going to be the case um i sure would like to see uh before fighters move uh i would like to see them contend for major belts and make their you know stake their claim there before moving up but that's yet to be determined and uh you know if if either if this if outing and PBC and, and go decide We think that there's more money to be made or more of a future or more marketability. That's usually what dictates it over anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I say this because, I mean, you, it's hard to see guys of his height really stay at 122 for too long, unless you're Ray Vargas, in which case, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, look, Brandon Figueroa, is, is, he has all the two. I mean, he's young, he's very good-looking, he's very talented, he knocks people out. There's a lot to like a, a about him, so I think PBC are going to take the slow route with Brandon Figueroa because there is a lot... To like about him, and it's, and I don't, I think PBC is going to be try to be a little cautious and not to try to put him a, too much into the fire, so to speak, when it comes to fight facing top ten guys at 122 pounds.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you.
0: So, lastly. I do want to talk to you about this. The Zone card in Mexico, you know, it's funny. You know, we get a made a card with Juan Francisco Estrada in the main event on the Zone, and his homecoming, and that ended up being like the third most important event or fourth if you count the Tanaka, Jonathan Gonzalez fight from earlier in the morning. Uh, there was there's a lot. I mean, Estrada beats Dwayne Beeman, but Beeman really brought the fight to Juan Francisco Estrada, and it was a it was a fairly competitive. fight fight at times and I I don't want to say Beeman was was close to beating Juan Francisco Estrada in the same breath that Anthony Yard was seconds away from beating Kovalev. But this fight ended up being a lot closer than I think anyone really Thought it would be when you're looking at this matchup on paper, but now Estrada wins is now gonna potentially face Calify in a title unification. Uh, what do you think about this fight and Beeman just surprising pretty much everyone? And you know, based on his performance against Estrada. So there was a few things that I knew about this fight
2: coming to it uh, on my podcast. I, I always do a prediction part. Uh, It is horribly unprofessional for a journalist uh, to usually bet on the fights, but uh, you know boxing is a little bit different. So I do I do find myself wagering from time to time, and I had told the people on my podcast, "Listen, the throw is a top ten pound for pound fighter. Uh, There's no reason to believe that he would not win." However, I did say if you want to put a small bet on Venus, one. Uh, there had been uh, some leaking that had gotten to me that Estrada's camp was trying to negotiate a cash weight in the final week uh, before this fight, uh, that there were some problems with weight It ultimately was not agreed upon because uh, Beeman wanted to fight for the strap. Um, he was, uh, Beeman was in shape and ready to rock and roll, and that was obvious. Um, I believe that some of the wind had come out of his sails when he first Knockdown had happened in the second. Uh, That could have been argued that was not a knockdown. Uh, And that kind of changed his game plan, uh, where he was a little bit more aggressive uh, than even he needed to be, although he is an aggressive style of fighter. Uh, And it was a good fight. Um, It's hard being one of the best in the world, because you're always going to face the best of your opponent. Uh, coming into it. So uh, while I thought uh, that the uh, strategy was shifted a little bit after that, uh, that second round, Estrada uh, was able to handle a real firestorm from a veteran, and uh, that's what you would expect from one of the best in the world and the best in his weight class. And, yeah, I would like to see him. You know, it's hard. You Every time that you bring up Estrada, You're going to bring up Sorongasai, and and you'd like to see Gallo go after him one more time just because the fights were so good. Uh, But he has other business that he can tend to as well. And if that fight is made, uh, you know, that would just be a very appealing fight. Uh, you like to see, you know, top competition go up against each other. He handled his business at home perhaps not as easily as he would have liked to, uh, but like I said, when you are one of the best in the world, you're going to be facing the best of
0: your opponent. And that's what he got out of even. I agree, and listen, and I, I thought Estrada didn't look as crisp as he did against Visay in the rematch, but there, that, that's always been my thing with Estrada. At times, it almost seems like he is a bit of a... Um, he, he kind of a bit inconsistent when it comes to performing at his best. Now, whether or not, you know... This was the case that he wasn't dealing with the weight with the weight cut well or for whatever reason or just Beeman was just really at his best on that night. It almost felt like Estrada kinda needs a top five, top three guy to get that kind of performance that we saw against Sorum Visay back in
3: April. Does it not seem that way? It's hard, especially
2: in you know this at the
3: lower Say goodbye.
2: classes where it's not like you're always getting these dynamic knockouts and where, you know, the speed and the competition is so high class that sometimes you can't differentiate. And so sometimes as somebody that's watching, you see, you know, you you know the top names and when you come out victorious against the top name, it's seen as a, you know, incredible performance and something that establishes you there. Whereas there are a lot of guys in those weight ranges that can give you a hell of a hard time and you don't get as much kudos when you get those victories. Um, I was surprised to hear that Estrada was having some issues with his weight. Uh, that was surprising. Uh, I don't know if that's because of a lack of urgency, uh, you know, a lack of focus. I, I wouldn't go that far yet uh, unless that becomes, a, you know, a reoccurring situation. But it, I think now you'll probably see Estrada face a top game. Uh, and uh, whether that's, you know, where if he's going into a trilogy or not, that's yet to be determined. But there's nothing that, takes for me, takes him out of my top ten pound for pound. Uh, he's a fantastic fighter. he improved it time and time again. And, uh, yeah, um, perhaps just how good is he we will see uh, when he faces a uh, top flight competition next.
0: Now, before I let you go, obviously, this whole past week, these past couple of weeks have been very crazy in the world of boxing. You have any last thoughts before we before we let you go? Whether it be some uh, fight that we haven't discussed yet, or some news that happened in the world of boxing, you want to get you know share your thoughts with? <laughs> Man, you could go on for days and days.
2: Whether it's Ruby, really <laughs> Joshua, uh, it's it, it's a very active time. There was an article on, in the LA Times. Uh, by your local hack, (laughs) Dylan Hernandez, a little clickbait article saying boxing is dead. But when you see the fights that are coming up uh, in the next, you know, gosh, the final quarter of 2019, it is unbelievable. And there's so much good that's coming on. Uh, I would just advise anybody that's listening uh, to get ready and get strapped in because starting in mid-September, and going all the way through, it looks like, to around Christmas time, there is top flight action and top hikes. And it's just an exciting time. And uh, Lord knows you and I, uh, both uh, on our own podcast and together, are going to have a hell of a lot to talk about and be excited about. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, Otherwise, Carlos, we're going to be probably hopping into another 30-minute podcast just talking about uh, all the different things that are uh, yet to come. So, uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, just too much good going on in the sport of boxing to even try to break down and pick one item, my friend. The RingWalk Podcast, where you can listen to John every single week. Has a lot of guests on the regular. Yes, we mentioned he had Stephen Fulton. He had Blair Cobbs, who fought on a Golden Boy Promotions car not too long ago. Great stuff. You can listen to John at The RingWalk Podcast. John, where can people find you on social media? and Where can people read your work?
2: Ringlock John is the uh, handle. Also on Facebook, at Ringlock John, and then I will contribute to invites NYC- sites and Michael Woods over there, and Dave Gonzalez and all the big group of guys that are that are over there. Uh, up in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be having a lot of the fighters for the uh, Spence Porter part that's going to be coming up as well, uh, and we're working on. We recently had uh, Concio and Herring, and so we've had some really good uh, interviews. And, you know, I've had this great guy named Carlos Toro on the podcast as well, so it's worth checking out uh, on all the mediums. Uh, It's a good follow. Not quite as informative as following Carlos, but uh, I try my best, and I appreciate anybody that's going to be tuning in or following.
0: Thank you so much, John. Really do appreciate it coming on here. Again, you can listen to the Ring One podcast. Again, I highly recommend listening to John's podcast. Great stuff out there. John, thanks again for coming on here, becoming a three-time Fightful Boxing podcast again. we'll uh, We'll talk to you soon.
2: The lineal champ, Carlos, the champ. I'm
0: taking it, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> no problem. And that was my talk with Ringwalk John. Great guy, great guy. I love talking to him. I've had him on the show uh, a couple of times already prior to today's podcast. Really love having him on board. But now we're kind of moving on a little bit more, something different. On the boxing podcast here on Fightful is if, uh, some talk on viewership numbers. And and you know, for those of you longtime readers of Fightful, know that I every every I don't know every year, every half year, I will post you know a big big article. When it comes to recapping and reviewing television numbers that for various networks in terms of boxing for, you know, in this case is going to be. I looked at Showtime, ESPN and Fox, who are, you know, I think everyone can agree. Those are the three biggest television networks right now in the sport in the United States market. And I'm looking at these numbers and for those of you, just a really quick recap. So, way, so the way I did it is, the, I would look at the final viewership numbers for the enti- for the card itself, and would just try to average them out, see what they have done, how they have performed from January to July. And I did it for Showtime from 2016 to 2019. I did it with Fox and ESPN from 2018 to 2019 because you you know prior to 2018 you almost never got boxing on ESPN or or on Fox for that matter. But now there is a bit of a there's been a bit of a change in the television landscape, and I'm not just saying you know talking about HBO boxing going out of business. I'm talking about the Overall landscape changing. ESPN, Fox doubling down on boxing. They you look at the numbers there. Viewership not only has gone up in a lot of cases, but the number of events they have shown, they have televised, has also gone up. So you, you can not really tell uh, what what they're trying. You know that they're really trying to invest a lot in boxing programming. Has it worked out in the, you know in 2019 though, so far? You know, I'm looking at these numbers and let's start with ESPN because I think ESPN is a very interesting one. So last year from January 2018 to July 2018, they had nine events and they averaged to around 715,000 viewers per broadcast. And when you look at this year, January to July, the overall viewership numbers have actually gone down. From seven hundred fifteen thousand to six hundred thirty-two thousand. Now, what has changed are a couple of things. From you know, you look at the number, you think, well, ESPN boxing is going down. This top rank experiment is not working. And to that, I say, not so fast. Because you look at the number, you you look at the viewership numbers, and you kind of put it in proper context. And you you look at ESPN's schedule for twenty nineteen so far, and if you think about it, I mean, 632,000 is not that bad of a number, or at least, you know, putting it in the proper context, which is the lack of of Vasily Lomachenko on the broadcast, uh, uh, on this year's ESPN lineal television schedule, his fight against Anthony Krolla. Well, back in April, was on ESPN on ESPN Plus. So they, so they, so television didn't have the benefit of that. Um, they got no Terence Crawford fighting on ESPN television either. Last year, Crawford didn't fight on television, but he did fight on television last October. But you look at the name, You look at what's been offered by ESPN this year compared to last year. You can kind of see that there is a bigger emphasis on putting some of the bigger stars on ESPN Plus versus putting them on ESPN television. You look at last year's biggest names. You got Heberto Ramirez. You uh, Twice, actually, on two separate occasions. You got Jorge Linares. You got Vasily Lomachenko. You got guys who... Uh, you got Oscar Valdez against Scott Quigg, which did a phenomenal number. Uh, last year, 1.1 million viewers. And you look at this year's names. And I'm not, you know, I'm not disrespecting. I don't mean to disrespect any of the names that have been fighting on ESPN this year. Because I am I love a lot of the names that fought on television this year. you got guys like Richard Comey, Alexander Vostick, Miguel Burchelt, Shakur Stevenson. And they're all very solid names. But the one thing that I've noticed in a lot of these... Fight, and a lot of the fights this year, some of those fights were against guys that you know not a lot of people really thought were going to provide much of a challenge, or at the very least, they weren't against notable names. When you look at Oscar Valdez, you kind of compare the two names from this from this year to last year's television fights. He fought Scott Quigg and Scott Quake, I would say, is a bigger name than Jason Sanchez this year. You look at, you look at Novoselie Lomachenko, that certainly hurt them. You look at Jose Ramirez, and he's done, he did well this year, and, but, you know, it's still, but he's still not at a point where it's, you know, he's drawing gangbuster numbers on television. As far as a live draw, as far as, you know, drawing uh, you know, ticket sales and getting a big attendance. Jose Ramirez is arguably the best draw in, you know, in boxing in the United States, or at least one of the biggest local draws you can ever hope for in boxing today. Phenomenal guy. Uh, you know, Jose Ramirez, undoubtedly, in my opinion, is the best junior welterweight in the world. But you look at a lot of the names, a lot of the matches, they're not exactly all that com- uh, compelling. The, you look at the, some of their worst-performing television numbers. You look at uh, Kubra Pulev versus Bogdan Dinu. A fight no one really cares about, and everyone thought Dinu's gonna uh, Kubra Pulev was going to win easily. That, that terrible numbers. You look at uh, Richard Comey versus Raimundo Beltran. You know, that was an interesting matchup, but Raimundo Beltran missed weight, and the belt was kind of essentially not on the line between you know in that fight against Richard Comey and De Bertram for the IBF lightweight title 490,000 viewers Shakur Stevenson versus Alberto Guevara Shakur is a phenomenal featherweight contender I love him I think he's gonna be really really good I think he's going to win a world title at some point in his career but you look at his opponent Alberto Guevara 530,000 you know not 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 that great and you look at last year's fights, and they do—they are—they were a little more compelling in some regards. There were a lot of—you know—you look at, for example, Jesse Magdaleno versus Isaac Dabek, really good fight, really good matchup. It did seven hundred, one thousand viewers. Jorge Linares versus Vasily Lomachenko did over a million. Oscar Valdez versus Scott Quigg that did over a million. You look at—you know—it's—it's it's a combination of a number of things. It's a combination of ESPN putting some of their bigger stars on the plus and on pay-per-view versus, as well as, you know, just a lot of bad matchups being done and that's kind of hurt their viewership. I don't think Top Rank or ESPN are in trouble. I don't think so because their priority now, it seems like their bigger prior, the bigger priority is making sure they get those ESPN plus subscribers up and it has been going up. For a very long time, I believe it's a over two million subscribers, which does very, which is very, very good for for ESPN. I mean, it's you know the UFC deal worked out worked out well for them. They got Tyson Fury fighting on ESPN Plus, same as Lomachenko, so they got plenty of big names on the plus, which I would assume probably maybe generate even more revenue for ESPN in uh, compared to what it would have done had those fights been. ...put on lineal television. And then looking at Fox... I mean, the Fox numbers are very cutting dry. I mean, dude, there's... there's no, It's not that there's nothing to look at... ...but you can see what's what the story with Fox is. Last year, Fox only did three shows... From uh, for PBC on Fox shows from January to July 2018, and those numbers range from 839,000 to just under 1.2 million viewers. But you look at this year, and it's obvious two things are abundantly clear. Number one, the fact that Fox took many of PBC's biggest names from Showtime—that really did make a huge impact on Fox's viewership. And when I'm just talking, and I'm talking about the Keith Thurman of the world, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, the Charlos, Jared Hurd, you know, lots of big names out there that are now fighting on Fox instead of Showtime. So obviously you look at those names and obviously viewership is going to go up. That's really not much of a... That, that It doesn't take rocket science to figure that one out. What also is interesting is... One, the investment that Fox has been able to put on uh, GIFPVC, their investment and their resources being allocated into boxing is all fine and well, and I think it's been a success thus far. Especially when you look at the pay-per-view numbers, all of them have done at least 300,000 buys, which is fairly solid Can if you look at the current landscape of pay-per-view. I mean... Listen, UFC isn't even doing that much on most pay-per-view now that they're on ESPN+. So that's already a win for PBC and Fox uh, right now. Then you look at... And then the one interesting data that I looked at, you looked at the January 26th show, Keith Thurman vs. Josecito Lopez. And you look at the rest of the PBC on Fox schedule. And Keith Turner was Jose Cito Lopez on paper was not the, the most compelling or the most competitive fight on paper. But it blew away all of the other their show, uh, all the other PBC on Fox shows this year. Why is that? Well, if you think about it, you know, look at the date that that fight took place, January 26th. You know, in the weeks and weeks leading up to the fight, that was right in the heart of the NFL season, which Fox has invested a ton of money into, and you look at that, you look at uh, the fact that Fox and the NFL, you know, have a wor- existing television relationship, and you put fights during football season, obviously Fox is going to take advantage and, you know, and promote those fights, and the one fight that really, really did promote a lot... Thanks to the uh, thanks to the timing of it all, was the Keith Thurman fight, and that resulted in a huge spike in numbers. You look at some of the fights that the that fought has heavily promoted, the Manny Pacquiao fight against Keith Thurman. That's done reportedly very well, around 500 in the neighborhood of 500,000 buys. Mikey Garcia versus Aero Spence Jr. A little more than three hundred thousand, which is not bad considering both guys are first-time pay-per-view uh, fighters. On you know, in terms of fighting in the main event, and Fox heavily promoted that show with press conferences on Fox, with you know, lots of pre-fight programming, having the Dallas Cowboys be involved in the promotion that did really well. So obviously, having football programming as a platform to help promote boxing is what's driving up some of pvc on fox's biggest numbers both in television and on pay-per-view and then lastly you look at the you look at the showtime numbers and it's and, and obviously it, and kind of goes hand-in-hand with the pvc on fox numbers because pvc you know that put a lot of their big names on Fox not on Showtime anymore and that's kind of resulted in a drop in viewership hasn't it's you look at from, from 2016 to 2019 2016 did an average of 374,000 viewers 2017 that went way up with 521,000 you can tell what and you can tell with you know the 2017 when they really got a lot of big big fights on Showtime, you're talking about Mike Garcia, Adrian Broner. Uh, you look, at Adrian Broner versus Adrian Granados. You look at a uh, Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko, Carl Frampton versus Leo Santa Cruz, a fight that a lot of people were really looking forward to at the time, and that went up 521,000 viewers. Then you go into last year, and that's when you really got a, a fantastic array of fights and stars fighting on the platform. You got. Deontay Wilder vs. Luis Ortiz did over a million viewers. Adrian Broner vs. Jesse Vargas nearly a dead eight hundred thousand. Mikey Garcia vs. Robert Easter six hundred eighty thousand. Just a a bunch of really solid numbers for Showtime last year. And Dara Sultan, five hundred eighty-seven thousand people per card to tune in. But you strip away those names, Mikey Garcia, Adrian Broner. And you, you took away a lot of these names, and you not only get a drop in viewership, but you get a drop in events. Last year, through July, there were thirteen Showtime Championship Boxing events on, you know, on Showtime. This year, we've only had seven, and and I mean, I'm mean, also including the Showtime Boxing Special Edition cards, which you know they did do, do that for Clarissa Shields. So I'm also kind of including that. So you look at this year's, and the biggest name, the two biggest stars right now are Deontay Wilder, Javante Davis, and them fighting three, four total times a year. That's not what gonna. That's not gonna carry an entire network when you have eight or nine other months to have to worry about when putting on television cards. And and I'm not saying that there's that you know that Showtime's in trouble or anything, but they have but they have to figure out a way. To fit to really make up for the loss of the welterweight division to Fox, they have to figure out a way to really, really maximize Javante Davis because it's becoming abundantly clear that Javante Davis is starting to really become a solid television draw. When you look at the numbers, he went from 420,000 in February to 553,000 in July. I would say Javante Davis on his way up to really becoming a star. You all, you got De- Deontay Wilder anchoring that divi- that sh- that that network in terms of boxing, and you know you look at the fight against Dominic Brasilla and said seven hundred ninety-one thousand, you know, on average, that's not exactly great. But remember, that was a th- that was a one-round fight. If that had gone on to seven, eight, nine rounds, kind of like what happened with Luis Ortiz, that I guarantee you that number would have really increased to in the 900,000s, maybe peaked that over a million. Maybe peaked that over a million. So right now, if, as we look at it, Fox on television is doing very, very well. Showtime is in a bit of a rebuilding stage. And ESPN is simply trying to you know, strike out a perfect balance between putting on great fights on television while also focusing on ESPN+, which is where a lot of the big names are fighting on. So, it's going to be very interesting looking at what these, uh, what the rest of the year has in store for these guys. And lastly, I kind of want to talk about a pre uh, preview of this week's events. Uh, the two biggest fights, or at least the two biggest events, arguably are... This Lomachenko vs. Luke Campbell for the unified WBA, WBO, and WBC lightweight titles over there in England on ESPN Plus on Saturday, August 31st. You know, I'm looking at this fight and it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say that this is going to be, you know, this is going to end up exactly like Lomachenko vs. Anthony Krala that, you know, that we saw back in April or earlier this year. Where Lomachenko just dominated Anthony Krolla. Um, but you know, it's gonna be I just don't see it in the cards for Luke Campbell. I just don't. And I think you know, some say, well, what about the size advantage, the reach advantage that Luke Campbell's gonna get? And and I say Lomachenko's a fat is a very agile fighter and he's very mobile. And his head movement, I think his head movement and his footwork is going to essentially negate that that size disadvantage that he has because he's going to be able to attack on the inside. And I think Luke Campbell is going to have a hard time with figuring out Lomachenko's rhythm and speed and footwork. And, And I'm not discrediting Luke Campbell. I think he's a fine, fine lightweight. He's certainly a top 10 fighter at 135 pounds today. But right now, I just don't see Luke Campbell beating Vasily Lomachenko. I mean, I, I could be surprised, and I will be the first to admit I'm wrong if Luke Campbell actually pulls out the big upset. But I think Vasily Lomachenko is just on a completely different level. And again, I'm, I don't think Luke Campbell's going to beat Lomachenko. I think Lomachenko is going to stop Luke Campbell. I'd say maybe ninth-round stoppage in my book. I think Lumachenko is really gonna take his time, try to pick apart Luke Campbell, figure out a way to get on the inside in the early going, and then really ramp it up in the middle rounds, and then gonna ultimately stop Luke Campbell. But, I mean, hey, this, th- that's not the only big fight that's actually taking place on that card at the O2 Arena in London, because you look at this entire card, and they really, they really stack this card I mean, you look at the the the, name, uh, the fights that are actually going to be on this ESPN Plus card. You look at Charlie Edwards going up against Julio Cesar Martinez for the for the WBC Flyweight title. That's a really good, good fight. Julio Cesar Martinez is a solid dark horse contender. I mean, last year, or actually no, not last year, but I would say earlier this year, he knocked out Andrew Selby, and I think in a, which. Completely took everyone by surprise and Cesar Martinez has done very well to get to this point And I think he's really gonna put a lot of pressure on Charlie Edwards starting off in the fight I think Charlie Edwards is gonna narrowly beat Julio Cesar Martinez by decision But I wouldn't be surprised if Julio Cesar Martinez ends up winning the fight Then you also got a, a few compelling fights. You got Huey Fury Signing with Matchroom Boxing. He's gonna be taking on Alexander Povetkin Solid matchup, but I think Alexander Povetkin at this stage of his career, I think he's a little bit washed. I think he's damaged goods. I mean, if he can't, if Fury Fury can't beat Alexander Povetkin, I don't know what to say, but you know, then I, I just can't see Fury being a heavyweight champion if he's unable to beat a battle worn, past his prime, nearly 40 years old Alexander Povetkin who turns 40 two days before the fight. So, um, you know, I-, I think Fury Fury should win. This is a must win for him to g- really get back into the heavyweight title conversation. And lastly, you got other big fights. You got Joe Cordina against Gavin Gwynn for the British lightweight title. Joshua Boazzi versus Ryan Ford. Uh, Boazzi is going to easily win this fight, in my opinion, in a light heavyweight matchup. James Tennyson against Atif Shafiq. And then you got Savannah Marshall, who is really c- coming along as one of the fastest rising female boxers today and she is someone who who's been making a lot of noise and trying to call out Clarissa Shields to a fight now as you know as a pro I'm looking at Seven and, Marshall, and I'm thinking to myself she has a lot of potential but you know there's nothing from her fights that I've seen that really tells me she's gonna be she, she's gonna be a Clarissa Shields type of fighter because you the name she has fought, the fighter that she has competed against they're not that very good. You look at her last her last two fights were against women who have lost more than 80% of their fights. So you tell me that's that will give you any indication of her being a Savannah Marshall being a world future world champion and I kind of throw a little bit of doubt into that. Do I think she has the skills to be a world champion? Absolutely. I think Savannah Marshall is a phenomenal fighter, but I would really like it if she fought better competition than the one she's been facing as of late. Her last fight was against someone who was 11.55 and 4 and then prior to that was against someone who was 3.25 25 one and now she's going up against someone in Danielle Bastieri, who's only 2-0 as a pro. Which, let's be honest, if she wins that fight, that's not really gonna tell me that's not really gonna elevate her into a position where she's gonna be a world champion. It really doesn't. But I hope Seven Matro gets bigger fights at the end of the year. I really am a fan of and I think she's gonna do very well as a pro. And lastly, you look at the PBC on Fox card that we got uh, later that night on August 31st, and you got a main event. Erlandi Lara against Ramon Alvarez for the WBA regular junior middleweight title. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. This main event, I'm not I'm not at all really interested. There's the, the novelty the the only novelty that you have in this fight is because Ramon Alvarez is Canelo Alvarez's brother. And he's someone who's had a, a very decent pro career. 28-7-3, that's not a bad record. And he's faced a lot of solid names. But he hasn't done anything in the last couple of years that really has shown you he's going to he's gonna beat a guy like Eddie Landilara, who is still arguably a top-five junior middleweight. Two fights ago, he got stopped by Brandon Rios. And then a couple of years ago... He lost to Antonio Margarito, who was almost 40 years old at the time and, you know, still getting out of his five-year break from boxing, you know, after losing to Milo Cotto in the rematch. Then you look at his last fight against Jose Carlos Paz, who who has never been a solid contender. He's faced a lot of solid names, but he hasn't really accomplished much in the sport. He's faced guys like Yamaguchi Falcao. He's faced guys like... Jorge Paz Jr., he's faced Jaime Munguilla and Omar Chavez and Anthony Fowler, but you look at a guy like Jose Carlos Paz and you think that a guy who should be competing for a world title would have, wouldn't have would have that much of an issue in beating, and Ramon Alvarez was only able to, be, to win a split decision, so I don't know, I'm looking at Ramon Alvarez and obviously he's not as good as his brother, but I think Irlanda Lara is going to win this fight fairly comfortably by decision. I just don't see it in the... I I just don't see this fight doing doing terribly well. But you look... But for those of you who are going to be in attendance at the armory in Minneapolis... You guys are in for a treat because you look at the names that are competing on the undercard. The towering inferno, Sebastian Fundora, who's really become one of my favorite prospects in boxing. It's a guy who's what six foot five, six foot six, six foot seven, and he's fighting at 154 pounds. Sign me up for more Sebastian Fundora fights. You got other solid prospects like Duke Micah. Money Powell, the fourth, Sean Simpson, Kyron Davis, Raymar Garballo, you've you got a lot of solid prospects to watch out for. And I'd say this is t- a type of fight that you, you know, a type of card where if you're really, a, if you're a boxing fan and you're in the area and you want to see who could potentially be a future star... This is the undercard for you to watch, because there is a lot to like about this undercard. Main event, really not that great, but I'd say the undercard is actually more interesting to watch than the main event itself. And that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. A reminder, head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Head on over to FightfulBoxing.com for the latest edition of the Fightful Boxing Newsletter. Until next time, Carlos Toro of the Fightful Boxing Podcast signing out.
3: Say goodbye